0: We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Well, good morning, church. Who's happy to be here today, hey? Isn't it good to be in worship this morning and to praise the Lord, be led with such beautiful worship and to open the Word of God and have a, a moment to, to hear what the Lord has to say into our hearts um, I just need to get something out of the way before we move into the sermon this morning. You might notice that I've got a big goopy sore on my chin, that I'm feeling quite self-conscious and those online would be seeing me a lot closer. If you're down the back, it's not a problem. You probably can't see it, but I'm very conscious of it. Do you know how you have days when you do something and you kind of feel quite conscious of what what has gone on? And uh, I walked into the office on Friday morning after cutting myself shaving and then uh, the worst thing is that I wear a CPAP machine that sort of sits on just where I've cut and it heals during the day and then during the night gets all goopy again and, uh, and it makes it a bit of a mess. And so I walk into the office on Friday morning thinking about something else and I bump into lovely Sarah. And Sarah says, oh Lloyd, what have you done to yourself? It looks like you're growing a small continent on your chin. <laughs> well, I felt really special at that point. I was doing really well to that point. But then Sarah kept going. She said, Lloyd, if you're a woman, you wouldn't even come to work today. <laughs> oh, Sarah, were you trying to encourage me? And then Pastor Phil came into the office this morning and wanted to tie a bow around my head <laughs> to cover up the wound. Like working with these guys, I'm a nervous wreck. So I just wanted to get that out of the way, that if you're looking at this goopy thing, and now you're going to probably look at it the whole sermon through, aren't you? And wonder what on earth has happened to Pastor Lloyd? It's okay, my self-confidence is intact, and will be okay today. I just need to keep out of the way of Pastor Phil from the rest of the day. Well, we've been having some wonderful sermons coming out of the book of Nehemiah and it's a real life story and it's a regular guy uh, trying to build this wall through the people of uh, Jerusalem and we're learning lots and lots of things about leadership and about life, about church community. Pastor Phil preached a cracker last week. And we all celebrated and clapped at the end as we thought about churches coming together on the Sunshine Coast and demonstrating uh, our unity and our working together and that we have a voice And that was a really exciting moment, Phil. Thank you for that message. And he was particularly talking about discouragement and how that we need to uh, watch out for discouragement in our lives. Well, today I wanna talk about strife from within. How to stop strife. It's interesting up until this point in Nehemiah, the opposition has come from outside. Nations in the north and the west and around Uh, Gentile nations that were poo-hooing the work of God, that were trying to bring it down by accusation, by uh, uh, telling lies about sending letters of threat, all sorts of things uh, to try and discourage the people. And yet it's quite interesting when we see that, that the reverse happened through the leadership of Nehemiah, he was able to galvanise the people together to work with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other amidst the circumstances and there was great camaraderie in the eye and the line of opposition from outside. Well, we know that Satan's tactics, if he can't get you from outside, he'll try and get you from inside, is that right? inside the community. And, and that's what I wanna talk about. There was news that came to Nehemiah and, and uh, greatly troubled him, made him angry, in fact, about something that was going on inside the camp of Israel. I've been told that uh, a group of thoroughbreds in the wild, horses, uh, when they face a challenge or opposition or a wild animal uh, they stand in a circle with their heads inward and their legs out, their rear legs out. So when the opposition comes, they can kick with all their might. And you know what? Power is in the kick of a horse's hind legs. Donkeys, however, when they face opposition, they stand the opposite way. They stand with their heads looking out and kick, the guts out of each other. (laughs) Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Stupid old donkeys. Do you know the Word of God talks greatly about the unity in God's people as being powerful. So great is the unity. It says that when we are in harmony and in unity, we truly demonstrate Christ. Do you know that? The greatest witness we can ever be is not out knocking on someone's door. It's not even doing a great thing in 1111 by being benevolent to someone else. It's when we love each other that the world sees Jesus. The world is always looking about how Christians treat one another. If they're not looking, Satan will make it so. In the Old Testament, it says, unity is like oil flowing down on Aaron's beard. It speaks of this great anointing. In the New Testament, it says that unity demands a blessing. There's power when we come together. There's power when we as churches meet together and we look forward, if that happens, Phil, uh, uh, the powerful name of Jesus will be lifted up and unity will speak powerfully into the community. However, we realise that Satan's always at work he sits at the table, beautiful Phil, sits at the table wanting to get in and around and interrupt, to bring us down and make us feel guilty for our sins. But Jesus is there representing us and we focus on Him. Isn't that beautiful? Satan is always at work. So just let me three, let, you, uh, let me guide you through a few uh, points as we look into this situation. And firstly, I want to look at the complaint that Nehemiah heard. And uh, to save time, I want to sort of explain the complaint and then read a little bit from chapter five. Uh, if you can, on new version sometime today, read the whole chapter. Uh, but we, it's a long chapter. And for the short time I have to me- preach today, I'd prefer to probably explain something of what's going on. The situation, and we don't realise this because the emphasis on the building, the wall, but at the same time they're building the wall, there's a terrible famine in the land. Uh, farmers haven't been able to farm. Uh, there's no grain being provided. There's, uh, there's no oil being produced. Uh, the trees are bare of their fruit. Uh, not much farming has gone on and particularly at the moment they're building the wall. And a complaint comes to Nehemiah about what's going on in the country. You see, the rich people were taking advantage of the poor and there were many poor people. And in fact, what they were doing, was they were, they were loaning the poor people money then using their farm as a, to mortgage as an asset as security over the loan just so these people could buy grain for food. They thought it was a good business idea and that's what you did in the world. You don't loan money for free. You loan with interest and it's their bad luck if they uh, have to uh, mortgage their property as a result of it. Well, these people come to Nehemiah and explain not only are we burdened with the taxes of the king from far away, Artaxerxes, but we're burdened by our own people who are terribly um, taking advantage of us. We not only have to pay interest, but losing the identity of our homes and our families for the future uh, because they're now security and could be taken away from us. Well, Nehemiah hears this outcry and he deals with it very, very quickly and effectively. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you were charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, you have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could not find anything to say. Don't you love that? Gotcha. Gotcha. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the Gentile nations? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you'll charge them, 1% for the grain, for the new wine and the olive oil. And the people responded, we will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? When we take advantage of people that are in a disadvantaged situation. Uh, It happens regularly in Townsville, we have the floods up there, we have the floods in Northern New South Wales. And here we have on the news People taking advantage, looting properties and businesses and stealing things from people who were suffering with flood. Isn't that dreadful? What lowlife would do such a thing? Take advantage of their own people. It's a dreadful, dreadful thing. And in the same way, this was happening in Nehemiah's day and he dealt with it severely. What steps did Nehemiah take? Well, let me guide you through just quickly. Most of them are self-explanatory. He appealed to their love. Nehemiah reminded them that you were robbing your own countrymen. How can you do that? You're struggling as a country. You're struggling as a little nation, as a little city. You've been through enough. Don't do this to one another out of love, he says. He reminds them that God's redemptive purposes. What does that mean? Well, he points out that these people were held in Egypt for many years and been redeemed, been brought back by God and set free. These people have now been brought back recently from Babylon. They've been set free, but only to be burdened again in the slavery by their own people. Thirdly, he appeals. his appeal was based on God's Word and showed them clearly this was wrong. And fourthly, they needed to remember their witness. The world was looking on and this was abhorrent. It was working in the face of unity. It was breaking down the inner core of the nation to treat one another like this. He appeals to his own actions. We'll look at that in a minute. He gives an example of what he did and how he's conducted himself and says that they need to act better. And then finally, he appeals to the judgment of God. What does that mean? He said, you know, when you muck up like this, when you do these sorts of things, God is not happy with you. You cannot expect God's blessing on your life when you're carrying on like this and taking advantage of other people around you. The things that you're saying, the things that you're doing are not right and they need to stop. Now, I think it's beautiful. Not always in scripture does this happen, we know. But it's beautiful when these words were spoken to the people that were responsible for the injustice. They were silent. They were mournful. They were convicted. It was like a new thought for them. They didn't realize they were doing anything wrong. They didn't see the nature of what they're doing. And then they were confronted with their wickedness. And it says immediately, we will give it back. Not only what they've done in terms of payments but the interest as well and to release the mortgage on the properties. Then a pact is made, a a commitment that they won't do this again and then they move forward into a beautiful celebration service where they sing together in unity and it's a lovely picture of how Nehemiah brings something to a beautiful conclusion. What Satan meant for harm, God used for good. Now Nehemiah uses his own example here about what he did in the light of his situation. Now he's a governor in the land, he holds some position and this is what he says. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land in Judah, Until this 32nd year, 12 years later, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them. In addition to food and wine, their assistants also lorded over the people. But out of reverence to God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work and we did not acquire any land. He goes on to say that out of the benefits of being a governor and all the food that was given him for him to enjoy, he fed as many people meagerly at his table. In other words, instead of gorging himself, they cooked all the food, they prepared it and made it go as far as it could so he could be generous and not hoard the entitlements that he had. A beautiful example was given by Nehemiah. Well, what do we do? What action steps can we take this morning when we are struggling in strife in our community, when things are going wrong? We've all been there. We've had our fair share of strife in Life Point over the years. I've got to say, we're a good church and we tend to work through things well, but we've had our fair share along the way. And I'm glad that you've been mature and you've been able to pull through most of the situations and do them well. I'm sure there's many little strifes going on that uh, even right now that this might be speaking to you. And I wanna give some very practical steps about how we can move forward when we lock horns, when we lock horns together. Well, firstly, make sure it's a moral issue. I mentioned there that Nehemiah got very angry. The Word of God doesn't speak too highly of anger, but it says, do not sin in your anger. It doesn't say don't get angry, it says do not sin in your anger. It seems in Scripture when we are angry about a moral thing, I mentioned just about the looting of those people, uh, the taking the things of the vulnerable people and businesses and their houses. Did you get angry about that? I get angry about that. I think that's wrong, that's dreadful. Well, that's the anger that Jesus says is okay as long as we direct and use that anger and not sin in it, but use it as a motivation to correct things that are out of sorts. So it's very important that we make sure, firstly, that it's a moral issue that we deal with. Sometimes we get angry with each other, we get ticked off because we don't like someone or they've said something that we don't particularly like. Like Lloyd, you've got a small nation on your chin. I do love Sarah and I do forgive her. Some things are just small things. They're not really a big issue. And so we need to be very careful about what are we approaching here? What are we really feeling here? You know, as I do a lot of counselling with families and people, there's always the presenting issue and there's the real issue. Have you ever gone home and kicked the cat because you've had a bad day? And the poor cat or kid thinks, what did I do wrong? was nothing about the kid or the cat, was it? It was about you having a bad day. And many times in conflict in relationships and marriage and in the church, it's more what was spoken out of a personal experience and we flared up inappropriately because of what's happening under the bonnet of our lives. Now we all come here this morning and we look pretty good. You're a good looking bunch, you really are. A good bunch of people. From this side, you look fantastic. However, if I was a, spend an hour with you and just look under the bonnet a little bit about what's cooking in your world, I'm sure there's stuff going on. Is that right? There's stuff going on in all of our lives. There's reasons for us to flare up and act inappropriately. But you know, sometimes we just got to hold our stuff together, haven't we? And we've got to try and move through it. So be careful and make sure it's a moral issue that you're dealing with in dealing with strife with someone else or a group of people. Secondly, think before you speak. Don't you love that one? That's so simple. We all get that right, don't we? You know, I I thank the Lord that I've always struggled to say something fancy in the heat of the moment. You know when you get those people and they just know what to say and you kind of left there. And then later on you go, oh, I should have said this. You know, sometimes it's a good thing, isn't it? That we don't know what to say at those times because we could say something very sharp, very hurting and very damaging. And I know there's many people that live in the light of what's been spoken out. Words are powerful. The Bible talks about that little tongue is like a, a, a rudder to a massive ship. It can do a lot of damage in a short moment. Think before you speak. And that also means settle down. Sometimes we're a bit edgy, we're a bit hot, we're a bit overwhelmed or worked up about something, give it some time to settle down. Pastor Phil has said to me on a few occasions, give it some time, Lloyd. And I have, on occasion. (laughs) Next one's meet face to face. Oh, this is hard, isn't it? Wouldn't you rather tell 30, 40 people about the situation, how horrible the other person is? You know, create a right old gossip in the church, creating, what is that? That's, that's strife. That's gossip. That's a wicked thing. Oh, the harder thing, but the better thing is to talk directly with the person. Would you agree? We often say here in Leadership and Life Point, if you've got a problem with Phil, don't come to me. Tell Phil, tell him, go to him. If you've got a problem with me, tell Phil. <laughs> no, that's not right. Come to me. Come to me. He is the boss, you see. Meet face to face is really, really important. And make sure that you're in a place to do it well, okay? If you're not, it's not going to go well. Make sure that you're in a place to do it. And then look. Number four, seek resolution. What do I mean by that? Really seek to solve the problem, not just bear your complaint. When I do marriage counselling, often when we get in a heated moment, two people are more concerned to getting their point across than hearing what the other one's saying. Have you ever been that or was that just Simone and I? Does anyone else do that? When you're really upset with someone, you just wanna make your point and let them know. And like what they say is irrelevant. It's white noise, you know? I just wanna make my point, I want you to hear me. Well, I suggest a little game, it's called the power of the pencil. You see, when we do marriage counselling, we hold something and only the person holding something can speak, you see? So it could be a pencil, a buyer or a rubber, it could be anything, but you hold this thing and you have the time to share what's upsetting you. You can't say you do, you just say I am. You're talking about what's happening to you, what's hurting you, what's upsetting you. You talk about it, you share it. And then when the other person is able to tell you back in their own words, what you've said, that they've heard you and you're happy with that, they get the pencil. You like that? Works like gold. It's fantastic. On one occasion in my office we were trying to practice this little game with a couple. and. It wasn't really working, and they dropped the pencil and went for it. And they're just into each other, and it was getting louder and louder. And I was starting to think, Phil, and everyone else about to hear this going on in my office. This This is dreadful. And you know, from under a piece of paper in my office, my phone was sitting there quietly listening to the conversation. And right in the middle of the heat of all of the action, Siri pipes up and says, I'm not sure I can help you with that. Well, we burst into laughter and we threw our heads back. I think she ended up on the floor. It was the funniest moment and it broke the, you know, that, that air and the knife kind of feeling uh, in the room. And uh, we all had a good laugh. You know, sometimes we take each other too seriously, but make, make resolution, aim at the process of actually resolving the issue. Don't just get there to give a beef about what you're going through. That's the last thing we want. Well, just winding up, Woodrow Wilson once said, if you, can come, if you come at me with your fists doubled, I think I can promise you that mine will double as fast as yours. But if you come to me and say, let us sit down and take counsel together. And if we differ from one another, We will find that we are not so far apart after all, that the points on which we differ are few and the points on which we agree are many. And that if we only had the patience and the candor and the desire to get together, we will. In a monastery in Germany, there's a pair of antlers on the wall. And the pair of antlers are locked together. And the story is told about two deer who were in a fierce fight and locked their antlers. And they died that way. They weren't able to eat or drink. And in the monastery, as an example of disunity and strife, to not go there is a pair of antlers. Is there someone this morning that you're locked horns with and you need to deal with it? Well, I want to encourage you as your pastor, please keep your accounts short. Deal with it, that we won't have strife in the community and bring disunity amongst God's people. Remember, unity demands a blessing. The greatest witness you could ever have is you loving your brother and sister and Christ. Do you know when you are in disunity and strife with one another, you are not a witness for Jesus. You are an insult to Jesus. Do you hear that? Work towards unity, it is powerful and important and we need to be a church that is galvanised together. Friday night, I wanna finish with a story of Lance Franklin. Did anyone watch, one watch the AFL on Friday night? Lance Franklin, who plays with the Sydney Swans, it was pre, preempted or anticipated that in that game, he would kick his 1,000th goal. Well, surely enough through the game, he got the opportunity to kick that ball. In his red and white, he kicked that ball and it went straight through the goalposts. And that very moment, every supporter in all of the thousands of people that were there rallied down, ran down with their red and white on and gathered around this guy. There were so many people, you couldn't even see where he was. I was worried he was gonna get hurt. Everyone had phones up to get a picture of of this guy who'd kicked his thousandth goal. What a beautiful story. What a picture of unity. What a picture of support. You know, in our church, when we kick a goal, whoever kicks the goal, we need to rally in our red and white like that. Is that right? Support each other and love each other. It doesn't matter who kicks the goal, as long as we're kicking and going forward and we're winning on the winning side. Jesus sits across the table from you this morning and He celebrates unity in your hearts and mine. Can you stand right now? We're gonna continue to sing this morning a victory song. But I want that to rattle your bones this morning, that you will make a commitment to walk in unity and a commitment to work against strife in our church. Amen. Can we do that this morning? And you know, sometimes, believe it or not, you are in the wrong. I know that seems impossible. And you know, sometimes when someone speaks to you, you need to be silent as well and take it on the chin and say, yeah, I was wrong. And that's the best thing that you can do. A quick response, not justification, not presenting your cause, not talking all over the top of someone, it's just to take it on the chin and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Oh Lord God, we wanna thank You for unity how good it is, like oil running down on Aaron's beard, is unity amongst God's people. And Lord, may that be the case here. May there be lots of oil flowing, may it be really messy and oil here at Life Point, Lord, as we love on one another, as we love each other with true hearts and galvanise our relationships together, Lord, may we be a witness, not an insult to Jesus, God forbid. And Lord, I pray that You would give us hearts of unity and hearts of love for one another. And Lord, whether it's been a wrong, it would be forgiven. Where there is opportunity to reconcile, it would be reconciled, Lord. Lord, And we just thank You for that this morning and we commit our hearts into Your good care in Jesus' precious Name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.